Mm, see this? You ever just pack a, a cone too tight and then it doesn't want to light right? All right, we're good. What's up, everybody? And welcome to episode three of the podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about a few different things. Going to be getting into um, how me and my wife have sustained a glass blowing business for the last seven years. And not necessarily to tell you guys what you should and shouldn't do. I'm just going to kind of tell you like things that we experienced and went through and maybe how we got through them and solved them. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the concept behind the RBR. I'm going to go more into like what my like outlook for it was, what I thought it was like my main goal for what it was supposed to be. We're going to get into that and uh, let's see what else we're going to get into here. Um it's it's main it's honestly it's mainly just like about business like in the glass blowing business and how we've what we've done to like you know to keep it going and uh you know there's been slow years and there's been years that have been really busy so i'm going to talk about the ups and downs and problems we've gone through but first smoke a little chill out for a second if you guys have anything light it up heat up your nail whatever you gotta do we're gonna hang out here for the next like hopefully at least a half hour so all right So one of the biggest issues that my wife and I, like when we were first getting into glass, and I'm going to go right to the beginning. One of the main things we like had an issue with is like, where do you get started? Like, what do you buy or what do you need to get going? And this is probably like the biggest question people ask me that are just interested in getting into glass mowing. And I don't think there's one wrong thing or like wrong way to go about it or what to buy, but I'll tell you how we did it. So what we did was, is we uh, did a little research and, um, I looked online, I talked to people and I found out that like the, the torch that a lot of people that I looked up to were using was a uh, glass torch technologies. It was GTT and I got a GTT Mirage. That was my first torch. And we talked about my first torch a little bit in episode one, but I'm going right from the beginning, kind of like the tools and stuff like that, that we, you know, needed to get started. So you're going to need a torch and I, you can spend, you know, from $700 all the way up to $5,000. It's like anything you can get crazy with it or you can go minimalist. It really depends on what you want to make, but I'd recommend getting a torch like a Mirage if you can from the start, because then you have, uh, you have like nothing stopping you. Like you might get to a certain level if you have a smaller torch and be like, man, if I had a bigger torch, I could work this marble or I could make this bigger piece of glass. So I say start with a torch like a Mirage because then you don't, I mean, you can make big stuff, you can make little stuff. It's a super versatile torch. So we started with those and then we got our first kilns. Um, we use um, Paragon kilns, uh, but there's a, a bunch of awesome brands out there. So that's really preference. But the main thing is just do a little bit of research. But the, you're really, I mean, but you absolutely need your torch and your kiln. So for us in the beginning, the, the hardest thing was honestly, it was like getting the money together, like knowing what tools to buy, um, finding a place where we could set up because my house was way too small. So there was no way we could like set up a glass blowing studio there. And, uh, luckily, uh, my parents were down to let us set up in their basement. So that's where we got set up. So we had our torches, we had our kiln and we had the spot to blow glass. Now that whole process took us about eight months to accumulate all those things. It wasn't just like, Oh, one day we just bought everything. No, it took time. It took like saving money. We had to take out a little loan to actually be able to afford like a couple of the things right away because they were kind of bigger purchases. They weren't like a bunch of small items we could buy. And um, it, so it took us about eight months to even get like set up with all the equipment and the materials so we could start practicing. 
Now at this point, we weren't so much looking at it as like, oh, this is our business. This is how we're going to make a living and pay our bills. We were honestly just really excited to like have something new to do and pursue. And of course we like wanted it to be a business, but that wasn't like our main goal behind it in the beginning. We just wanted to blow glass. And we didn't know if it was something that we really could make a living at. Like at first I wasn't like, oh yeah, this is it. Like this is going to be how we pay our bills. It's going to be great. I was honestly at a point in my life where I was killing myself landscaping, working super hard. And uh, I just didn't have things that I was looking forward to anymore. And then I found glass blowing and it made me feel excited again. It made me feel like there are things out there. I didn't feel like I was just like trapped in this like you know, just this job that I hated and this place I hated. The glass blowing kind of gave me that like light at the end of the tunnel. So we got all set up, started working, making things. And after, like I talked about in episode two, after about six months, we went to our first trade show. And that's when the business really started. Because before that, we were just selling to friends or like someone locally would meet me and I'd be like, oh, I sell, I make pipes and I'd like sell them something. So in the beginning, the first six months really wasn't like, we just still didn't think it was a business. It was kind of like we had the DBA, like we, we had the DBA and the LLC for Bear Mountain Studios because we had already had businesses before then. So we knew we're like, even if we're not skilled enough yet to like, you know, even call ourselves glassblowers or have a legitimate business, let's have the paperwork as soon as possible. So we had our, all of our like business stuff, like right away. Um, so that way when we went to champs, we were already like a business. We were all set up in that part with all the paperwork. But for us, like some of those biggest stresses after that first trade show, after we like really were like, okay, this is a business now. This is how we're paying our bills. Um, Some of the biggest stresses we found was just working with customers and like trying to like make sure everyone's like happy and has like exactly what they want. And I was even talking to my wife this morning and I was asking her, I was like, cause I was like just taking a couple notes for the podcast and getting warmed up for the day and ready to go. And, and I was like, what are like some of the things that like, what are the biggest stressors you think like, um, uh, that we've gone through like as Bear Mountain Studios over the last seven years and every situation she brought up was just, you know, maybe dealing with, um, a customer that, you know, wanted to get a specific type of piece, but they couldn't, or a shop that wanted to get an order, but we were too book, booked out to get them that order. So for us, it's just, it was always the biggest stressor we've noticed is been just trying to make sure we always keep our customers happy, no matter what. And I think that like any like small business owner, that's the same thing. It's like that same feeling is that like, even if you lose a little money, you'd rather keep your customer happy because in the long run, like it's your name and you want people to like appreciate everything you're trying to do. And, uh, you know, and the big thing is I'm, I, I try not to like be too prideful about it, but it's your name. Like, so if you're, if you're not taking care of customers or you're treating people poorly, or if they have a question, you're treating them like, you know, you're being disrespectful to someone that's just asking an honest question because they've spent a bunch of money with you. Like, that I feel like that reflects negatively on your name. Like for me, because I did like landscaping, I I did, I did construction. And when I did landscaping, I had my own company for a while. So like, I was like a young guy, like trying to sell my, basically sell myself to people so I can do work on their house. So like I was 20 years old, 21 years old. Um, and think about it. Like you have a 21 year old come up to your house and be like, Hey, this paper patio, this, this, and this, it's going to be 25 grand. 
and then you have a guy that's 55 years old drive up to your house and give you the same estimate, they're going to go with the older guy because adults don't take you seriously. They're not going to take the 20-year-old seriously compared to the 50-year-old, and they'd rather give the money to the older dude that has more experience, even though the younger guy is capable. So my point is it was always hard to, like, you know, from, like, when I was a landscaper to, like, sell yourself and make sure, you know, try and, like, set up sales so people want to, you know, work with you as opposed to the other guy. So customer service was the most important thing. It was a really weird path we took to get to customer service is important, but we got there, um, especially in this day and age. In this day and age, there's so many options out there. There's so many amazing glass blowers and like artists out there that people and people can get in contact with them now because of social media. So there's there's unlimited things out there people can buy and collect. So in this day and age, I really think it's about the customer service. And um, one second, got ladies joining in. This is where I do a soundboard, so I could just like press a button like while I'm like fucking smoking. So I kill some dead air, but, um, yeah, it was always like customer service is like the main thing nowadays. Like, even if you make a great product and a perfect product and like, you're the best at it, if you're not able to communicate with people, right. And take care of them, then you can lose or not get the sale at all. And like, some of you guys are listening to this right now and you're like, this, this motherfucker never answers my DMS. I DM him all the fucking time. And like, so I'm the, I'm sounding like a hypocrite right now, but I do, I run everything through emails because I know I'm the worst at getting back to people. I'm going to be redundant about this throughout the podcast and every episode. You'll probably hear me say it one way or another, but my strong point, or my, my strong skill is definitely not communicating with people through a DM or a text message. I'm great in person. If you talk to me in person or like doing stuff like this. But um, I have a lot to work on myself. So my wife, she's the one that really keeps everything in order so that um, I'm able to communicate with people in a respectful way so people don't think I'm blowing them off. So email us, don't DM us. So in the beginning, our biggest things that were stressing us out with like running a business and everything was, first of all, getting all the equipment, like I said, and then getting into the customer service end, like making sure we're doing our best on our end. But real talk, glass blowing in the beginning and even now, but in the beginning, even more so, it's really, really expensive if you're not making any money from it. Because you're literally like buying material and breaking it and throwing it away. So like the value you are getting out of it is being able to practice and learn a craft, but you're still spending a ton of money with very minimal return. So one of the things I was going to, I would say, if you're like, if you're starting out glass blowing, maybe you've had a glass blowing company for a while. Um, or I mean, really this more applies to people just starting, but try not to look at the numbers too much. Try to do what you love and understand that you're probably going to have to have for a little bit there, some sort of other way of income, like another job, like me and my wife. And for the first six months of glass blowing, she was working full time at, um, for a makeup company and I was, I was landscaping all day. So I was getting up at five 30 in the morning, getting to the job site by six 30 AM and then working until from six 30 AM to five 30 at night. And then I go to the studio and crush all night glass, wake up and do it again, do it seven days a week. So same schedule I have now, just actually, I think I was working harder back then cause I was landscaping, like carrying brick for like eight, 10 hours and then going to blow glass. It's fucked. But it's what I had to do in the beginning to maintain so that I could learn this craft. Uh, because where I was, I just didn't really have the opportunities 
to there were just really wasn't like glass blowing like studios or places like that to work where you could like someone with my skill level could make enough money to take care of my family and that's something i want to get into too and talk about is that as much as like we all want to like do something different every day and like be an artist and have like our thing there's times where you have to be like okay like i'm an artist but is it responsible for me to be a starving artist like while i'm trying to you know while i'm taking care of a family and that's my thing. Like I want, I'm like, I'm only seven years in. So how I look at this is I'm still a new glass blower. Like seven years might sound like a long time, but think about it once I'm 10 years in or 20 years in, like right now I'm still trying to like build my skills up. So that's what, like, I think like having a production line or a company will help you do is to like build skills because you're doing repetitive movements every day. Conditioning and training is everything. And I think that what I do with like, I basically set up a company so I could learn how to blow glass and practice constantly while still paying my bills. And then on the side, I can do like one of one, like solo pieces, art projects or like passion projects that maybe I'll never sell. It's just something that I feel like making. And I feel like to have those freedoms of like just making whatever you want, you first need a foundation so that you're not like stressed out and have extra high anxiety because you can't pay your bills. If you're really stressed out and you're having a tough time, um, it's really hard to feel creative. Maybe, I know that's very opinionated. Some people might feel super creative when they feel like they're going to lose everything. Me, on the other hand, I like, I get so stressed out. I have a hard time doing anything because I'm just like thinking about all the stuff I have to get done or whatever. But building Bear Mountain Studios from the start, because I didn't start an artist name in the beginning. I wasn't like, you know, whatever, like an artist name. I was like, I started a company. Because I knew long term that like artists can come and go, but a company or a reputable brand that could last the test of time. It's just really the people behind that company and a company also too, is like a team effort. I've never, I was an only child growing up. And for me, like I didn't like doing things by myself. I actually really was always jealous of my cousins that had a bunch of brothers and my friends that had brothers and sisters were like, you basically always have a friend over. But you know, grass is always greener on the other side. You're not always friendly with your siblings. So, but for me, I always wanted to build something that I could be a part of with a group of people. So I started a company right from the beginning because I knew that's what I wanted to do. Take a sip of coffee here real quick. And when I was talking to my wife this morning, we were like reminiscing and talking about Bear Mountain Studios and our whole journey and everything we've done here and everything. It's, it's so hard to like appreciate or pay attention to what you've already accomplished when you're constantly working and just looking forward to the next thing. And I think that's like one thing this podcast is going to help me with because this podcast is for me too. This podcast is for me to like talk about things or reminisce, remember, talk about stories, talk about life. And hopefully I can try to appreciate what I've done so far already. Cause I'm the type of person that I only look at what I haven't done. I have a very difficult time, like being proud of myself in the, like in the moment or look back like, hell yeah, I did that. I'm always just like, fuck, I haven't gotten this done. All I do is look around and see what I haven't finished. And I don't think that's something I'll ever get over. I think that's just part of my personality. So for me to think the more harder or the harder I work, eventually I won't be there. And realistically, that's not the truth. Even if I like got super ahead and I was crushing and had all this money, I would still be acting like this. I'd still be just working, moving and constantly doing things. But back to what I was saying, me and my wife were talking this morning and 
just like remembering everything we've done in this company and how far we've come. And, and, and she was, she even said, she was like, man, from the beginning, from the beginning, we were all in with Bear Mountain Studios right from the beginning. I mean, we quit our jobs. Like we just, we bought all the equipment and then we just started going. And like, we never doubted that it was like, we never doubted. We were like, well, Oh, if this doesn't work out, what are we going to do? We're like, no, this, this has to work out. That's why we drove to Denver with only enough money just to get there, to go to the trade show. We just were committed. We're like, no matter what, we're all in. And I think it's because we were in a place in New York where there wasn't any opportunity and we weren't, and we just felt like that's where we were going to get stuck. So we like saw like a little bit of opportunity with the glass game and we loved what we were doing and we loved smoking, we loved cannabis. And we were like, is this it? Like we're going all in. <clears throat> and that's kind of like bringing us over to another subject I want to talk about with sustaining a glass blowing company, or at least how we've done things is being committed to be all in not making money and being like, okay, cool. Like we made enough just for this month's bills. And then that's that. It's like, no, keep crushing and making more money and keep putting it into your business. Like we have times that we put money into the company and like, we don't get any money back. Like, Honestly, I would say like 80% of the time we don't get the return just yet, but we know the more we put in now and the bigger foundation we build and all the things we do for this company will add value to it in the future. So each little task or each little idea you have maybe about what you're trying to build or what you're trying to do, don't just push to the side and be like, oh, well, that won't make that big of a difference this year or this week or this moment. Don't do it for this year, this week or this moment. Do it for six years down the road, five years down the road. 10 years down the road, just, we can start, we can keep saying numbers, 20 years down the road, but, um, you want to like make sure that each little thing you put in, like you take it very seriously, you do it the best you can do all the way down to like the branding and like, uh, the materials you're buying. Like my wife is constantly working on different graphic design projects and like different sticker packs or apparel. Even if stuff doesn't fully sell out, we're trying to just build up all these little parts and build up this company that we're so proud of. And, and that, that's really like, that's the thing that I feel like it's maybe hard to commit or hard to invest like that. Because when you invest everything and you're putting everything into it, and even if like you're sitting there working, you're feeling like you're putting everything into it. Really what it is, is if like, like, like real talk, like, we we're like I said, like, I think even maybe in episode one, like we still live paycheck to paycheck, but that's because we're putting every bit in. Like if, if we didn't, if we just like did orders and saved money, like we'd have money. Yeah. But like when we get paid for order, we're like, all right, what's the next thing we're doing for Bear Mountain Studios? What's the next project? And we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep putting everything we can into it because that's the only way it's ever going to become something. It's the people behind it and the people that believe in it. And I feel like if you're like another artist out there, even if you're not a glass blower, like anyone working on something, if the people that are watching you work on it, see how passionate you are about it and how much you love it, they're going to love it too. You don't need to sit there and try to convince people to like what you're doing or love your product. You love it yourself. Just, you know, be excited when you see your own work. Like I know as an artist, it can be tough. Sometimes you just want to critique yourself and be like, that could be better. That could be better. But when it comes to like, when I see my work, like I get, I get excited. I get, um, I just get motivated, especially when I see people with it. And if people pick up on that, they, they see that emotion, they see that authenticity, how excited you are about what you're doing, then they're going to be excited too. 
So I know we're all over the place, but really this episode three, guys, this is like more for like my my glassblower, other glassblowers out there that are grinding and hustling. I know um, a lot of us listening to aren't glassblowers. We're just, you know, enjoying the industry and want to see like, you know, look through little windows and see what's going on in the inside. But I really just wanted to talk about like, you know, my perspective on it, the things we did, the things we've gone through. Oh, just hit my bike. So my main points from that whole thing is though, you got to be willing to make the sacrifice to put everything in. Even when you think you've already put everything you got into it, there's something more. Instead of going snowboarding, instead of going skateboarding, instead of going on that vacation, instead of buying that thing you wanted, those, those pair of shoes or whatever the fuck it is, you put it into your company. You wear the same shirt you've had for the last year. And I, and I know that might sound depressing and, and this is very opinionated. So listen, I smoke weed all day and make pipes for a living. So take it with a grain of salt. But I'll say that the reason we are where we are right now and what we're building and the path we're on is because we made those little choices not to buy that, not to go out to dinner that night, not to, you know, we were like, you know what, you know, a little bit of suffering sometimes is good, but honestly, guys, like, let's get to the root of it. I get to smoke weed all day drink coffee and create art. So even if I don't get that thing I wanted, or I don't get to go on that vacation, I'm still in the place I wanted to be. So no matter what you're doing, as long as you love it, I mean, you can make those sacrifices without it being too hard. You just got to get your perspective, right? So, and I'm not saying that this is the only way to be successful. There's a lot of people out there that travel constantly and they're like always out like snowboarding or skateboarding or having fun and they're still doing really well. And that's called working smarter, not harder. I just work dumber and harder. It's silliness. So, but I'm just telling you how I did it. All right. So next thing I want to talk about here is, uh, cause we haven't talked about anything like this yet on the podcast. And I think a lot of people thought this is what this podcast was going to be about. I want to talk about function and the function I want to talk about today is the main pipe that people are buying right now that I'm doing, which is the RBR or the refined bell recycler. Ooh, one second here. This is actually my second joint of the day. Tried to save my first joint of the day for the the podcast, but we did it a little bit later in the day today just because weather and stuff. But um, the RBR, like, this piece literally saved my family. Well, I mean, this, this piece of glass, this design, like, it changed our whole lives. Um like pre RBR, like I, I, I'd gotten my house and I'd gotten our established and everything with my other pieces. So we were, we were, we were doing well enough to like maintain, like having a home and having a car payment and putting food on the table, but we didn't make the kind of money where we could really expand our business. Like I was working without ventilation for six years. I just got ventilation in August of last year. I was working out. I was working with the wrong type of glass blowing glasses for six years. Yeah. I just got, I just started wearing my new ones in August. They're actually have the dynamic lenses. I was just wearing a pair of welding. They weren't really set up right for, for the sodium flare. All these things changed for us because of all of you out there supporting the RBR and, and loving that design. In 2016 in a part of 2017, we did like no wholesale orders. Now, before that, we were booked six months out all the time from our first trade show in October of 2013 till 
mid 2016 or so, we were, we were booked with orders. And then one day the orders just stopped and I was out here in my garage that was, had no ventilation yet. It was bare minimum. It was trashed out here. There's old couches and just garbage everywhere. I was just working in a pit basically. And I was like, okay, well we have no more orders. No one's asking for glass. We have this fucking mortgage, our car payment. Like what the, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to do all this? Cause I had no one to call. I couldn't call my parents for money. I couldn't, I had, I dropped out in 10th grade. Like my resume will say he did weed and made bongs for the last five years. So hire me. Um, I was in a really, really tough spot and <clears throat> I tried making even more complex stuff, but it just kept getting more expensive. And I'm like, it's not about making this super expensive stuff. You need to make glass that's accessible. You need to make glass that people can actually buy and smoke and not just window shop and talk about. You need stuff people can actually be using in the real world. And I'd kept drawing new designs, new designs, and they kept getting more and more complicated. And I'm like, I'm just getting more complicated. I'm making glass right now to impress my peers and not for the buyer and the consumer to like actually use as a daily driver and enjoy. And not every piece is a daily driver, but the idea behind the RBR was it was supposed to be a daily driver. It was supposed to be like your Toro. It was supposed to be like, you know, that piece that you just, maybe it's not the piece you take to the sesh to be the cool guy, but it's the piece that when you get home and you put the heady pieces in the Pelican, this is the piece you want to smoke because it's the most comfortable. You like the way it smokes. It's easy and it works every time. So I wanted to bring a piece to market that was like a little bit more affordable and, uh, you know, would, would like be a daily driver, something that, you know, you could see as like a, uh, a staple in a, in a smoke shop or a head shop. Like, I don't know if there's a recycler yet. That's like, like the staple, like it's like every shop should have this recycler in it. I don't know if we have that yet. I feel like we're still at the point where like certain artists are in certain shops, but like you look at Toro and it's like every shop has like Toros. And like, they're a staple, like you got to have your Toro, you got to have your sovereignty, you know, like these are, these are like things you're supposed to have in a shop. These are reputable brands. And I wanted to build something like that because what I noticed is like, as I was like creating all these crazy pieces and I did my first show in 2016 and went really well and, and all these things were happening and it was awesome. And I was doing really heady technical pieces, but I, I was like making pieces that were hard just, just to like prove something. And that's when I needed to kind of like, like I'm all over the place here, but the point I'm trying to make is that that was the point where I was like, all right, do I want to be a starving artist or do I want to like still be able to blow glass and learn how to do this craft while, you know, paying for my family. So I stepped back and I, I looked at my older designs and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the first recycler I ever made and I'm going to remake it with what I know now. Because back then I didn't know anything and I wasn't very skilled. I have a little bit more skill now. I'm going to go back to the beginning. I'm going to start back where I, where I began and I'm going to remake my older designs and I'm going to refine them. And this is where the refined bell recycler came from because it was just called the bell recycler from 2013 to 2016, late 2016 and 2017. I started really making them, but this, this like refined design, um, it was really hard for me to make them in the beginning because there's a certain weld in there. There's this weld right here, like where the joint is. This We got RBR on the table here, Blue Soldier Art Collab going out to Mad Jacks. That's her custom. But the joint right here, this type of weld, the joint, it's like a doer joint. So it's like, 
it was something new for me. Honestly, I didn't, I wasn't very good at them and doing them by hand was so hard. And if, um, I'm sure there's a few of you guys out there that have tried doing these doers or do them all the time. And you guys know, I, it, they can be a real, real, uh, pain in the ass to do by hand. Like they're so, they, they get fucked up so easily and, but whatever this refining the design, uh, took me a little bit to really get it. I was running into little speed bumps at first. I was making like handmade female joints and I had like a little female joint that would sit on top of it. That was like a low profile joint. I only did a couple of those. And then I started practicing the doers and clear more and more. And, Oh, here's like, here's I'm now I'm remembering stuff as we're talking about the RBR in the beginning. Um, in the beginning, there's a post I, that I put up and I was like, all right. And actually I saw another artist doing that. The artist I saw doing this is tube sock hustle. Shout out to tube sock hustle. I don't know you, but you're killing it, bro. Um, I saw him doing like these drops where he's like, all right, I'm going to make 20 of this clear design and, um, I'm, I'm taking names for it and then they'll be all numbered this and that. And I did three designs like that to basically, it was like a hail Mary to try and like save us and be like, how are we going to pay our bills? I did this little banger hanger for 300 bucks. And then I did like the standard, I just had like the one RBR. This was, this was before double diffuse or micros or anything. This was just a 14 millimeter RBR, which I still have this first one. Um, it was the 14 millimeter RBR. And then I had this thing called the dual uptake, which is basically a floater recycler with two uptakes. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do like 20 of each of these. Um, ended up only selling like 10 of the banger hangers. And I sold all the, the floaters and then I sold all the RBRs. And I was like, wow, like, oh my God, like I just paid our bills. Like, and I just like got us ahead for like a month. Now I can like keep crushing. Maybe I can get us more ahead. So it, before then though, I was only making like crazy, like colored pieces and really heady stuff. Like, like a few months prior to all this happening, I was like at Matt Robertson's studio collabing with them as an age with all these people hanging out. Like, like felt like I was really part of all like this, like big heady scene thing. But then I realized I was like, this is not a way to pay my bills though. And we, we had a bad rut and honestly these clear pieces like saved us. But before these clear pieces, I wasn't making clear glass. Like I did a little bit for 420 science, but I was mostly making really heady pieces. So for me to like step back and make this clear stuff, some of my collectors that had been supporting me from day one, buying my EHJs and all these more technical pieces were confused. They're like, well, like what's good? Everything good, bro. Like, like is everything like, is, are you doing all right? And I'm like, honestly, I was like, I haven't gotten a wholesale order in a year. I was like, no one's smoking my glass. Like I'm not seeing anyone post my shit online smoking through it. And that's really important. Like if no one's smoking it and it's just sitting in stores, then you got to change something up. The glass needs to be used. So I started doing some of this more production style stuff and stepping back and going more into affordable markets, um, as a way to try and like make sure I could keep learning how to blow glass. Cause I was only like four years in at that point or three and a half years in four years in it's, I was like, I'm just learning. Like I haven't even gotten to the skill level I want to get to. How am I going to keep blowing glass, paying for my mortgage, paying for the car? My wife, you know, she works for the company. She works for Bearmont studios. So like the only income that comes in is from these hands. Like if these hands aren't making stuff that's selling, we're fucked. So like, the RBR literally saved my family. The amount of support and change for everything, the following has exploded. Like I only had 7,000 followers on they did at that point. Like Bear Mountain was the account that always had a lot of followers. Now I have more followers on my personal account than Bear Mountain Studios. It's like, I know there's a lot of you guys out there. You just, 
you want to do your high-end art thing, and I think you can do both. You just got to be willing to sacrifice and work a little harder. And I know there's a lot of dudes out there that have been doing this for 10 plus years even, and they're like, I've already grinded, dude. I've already killed myself making thousands of spoons years ago. I went through pipe dreams. I've dealt with the shit that you don't even get. I don't, I've put my, my time and I shouldn't have to make this production shit. We still get to smoke weed all day and make pipes though. So even if you have to do production shit to build up your name and build up your following and build up your collector base, like it's all in what you love. See, for me, it's not hard for me to do it because I'm obsessed with function. I love refining and dialing in even a design that's simple. Like keep making it, making it like cleaner and cleaner and doing more and more to it. For me, like it wasn't as much of a challenge in the beginning. It was, and I still have my days where I'm like, man, I want to make something else today. Like I want to, tr- I want to pull a Millie today. Or I want to, I want to try and do this or this. And I want to try, I want to try different stuff. And I feel like that, and I try to divert that type of like that really exciting inspiration you get when you're first starting to blow glass, or even if you've been doing it for a while, when you get that little like spark of excitement, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get in the studio and just work on this piece, this new idea I have. Take that inspiration, that spark, and push it into some production. Be like, okay, I really want to make this, but I really should get some of my like orders done or build some sort of like means to you know, make a living where I can enjoy being an artist and not be so stressed about each individual sale. Because no matter what, even if you're like, just do the art thing and do a kind art and you're not making any production at the end of the day, and you're working on that piece, you've been working at four or five days and you hear a little tink and something's cracked and now you're stressed out and you're like, holy fuck, that was, that was how we were going to pay our bills you're still doing it to pay your bills and stuff and support your family and take care of yourself. Um, this is another thing I want to talk about too, with like really expensive glass. Um, let me let my joint real quick before we get into it though. Mm. By the way, I hope you guys are doing well. Anybody that's made it this far in, thank you so much guys. Everybody who watches this, um, this podcast is really helpful for me. I said like to talk about reminisce, um, it's been helping keep me off my cell phone as much and not looking at Instagram. Instead, what I do now is I pick up my notebook here. I take some notes about stuff I'm thinking about or things that may stress me out or how I'm going to figure shit out. I, I draw, I'm drawing a lot more pipes now, which is nice. So this podcast is almost like really checking me and getting me back into like, you know, cause we all will lose ourselves every now and again. Like even if you're working really hard, you can kind of lose track of what you're doing or what your goal was. You just kind of get in like, you know, that repetitive rut, but you're still doing what you got to do, but just so repetitive. So I just want to thank all you guys who are watching this and checking it out. <clears throat> all right. Let's see here. So yeah, basically the main concept behind the RBR was just to make a daily driver that was a functional staple, like a recycler that everyone knew about and it functioned every time and it was just super dialed in and, and it was a way for me to uh, find new collector groups and you know, find a way to like support my family and support myself enough so I can keep learning this craft and getting better and better because I have so many big ideas and plans, but my skill level, maybe not there yet. I'm learning every day and I'm constantly progressing because I'm constantly putting time in. All right. Um, let's see here. So another, another thing, um, I wanted to talk about, but I forgot and I can't remember it now is whatever I was saying before I talked about that whole podcasting, how it was helping me, but maybe we'll get back there. I'm sure you guys remember, but I can't. So, oh yeah, I wanted to talk about expensive glass. Boom. See, we're already back. We're fucking good, guys. We got this. 
the weed is really, really kicking in. Like I said, second joint of the day, so I'm a little bit more goofy than I would be normally. Expensive glass. I love collabs for the experience to be able to work next to an artist that I respect and look up to to learn some new things and to get reassurance that, Hey, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I just got to keep crushing. It's just like people watching this podcast. It's like, I'm not telling you how to do things, but maybe if I share my experiences and you're in a tough spot, you'll realize you'll be like, fuck, like I'm dealing with something similar right now. I'll, I'll get out of it. It's all temporary. Everything is temporary. Even your shittiest day is just temporary. So try not to get too hung up on it. Expensive glass though. When I was like, when I do collabs and stuff, I love that experience, but I'm, I get really stressed out. I get stressed out because glass, when it's that expensive, when you're talking pieces, three, four thousand, five thousand, six thousand, or seven thousand dollars, whatever, when you're talking those multiple thousand dollars in a piece, it's stressful on everyone's end. It's stressful for the collector who just bought this piece and now has to have it shipped or whatever it is. It's stressful for the glass blower that's holding a four thousand dollar piece piece of glass and you're you're working on it and and as the piece gets farther and farther in, like when I was working on those big Z pieces. And like when I was at Big Z's house, like I, uh, I didn't sleep. I literally, I got, to, I drove up to his, uh, studio. He lives about two and a half hours away from me. I drove up to his studio and got set up and I started working. And then it, like after working all day from like two o'clock in the afternoon, cause it was kind of a drive. I got there around two and then I worked and around 11 o'clock at night or so, like we didn't eat dinner or anything. I, I just brought beef jerky and fucking moon cheese, dude. I don't need much. I'm like, you can feed me like rat food. I don't, I'll keep working. Um, he was like, yo, you should, we go out to dinner or something. We do something nice. I'm like, I'm just going to keep working, dude. And he was like, all right, man. He's like, well, I'm going to go get some rest. And I was like, awesome. He's like, you sure you don't want to come back and chill? He's like, he's like, I'll leave my key here so you can come in. I was like, no, dude, just lock me in the studio. I'll see you at 9am when you get here, whatever. I'm fucking working. Like, because he did his part. He had me set up with the prep and stuff. He, he crushed like, um, all the shaping assembly was just taking me some time. Cause I, I take my time with stuff. Like I'll be working the whole time, but like, I try not to rush it because when you're, ru- if you rush something, like was that extra two minutes you saved really worth losing 10 hours of work? No. So be patient with your pieces. Let them sit in the kiln a little longer. But yeah. So when I worked at big Z pieces, it was like four or five in the morning. It was cold as fuck. Cause it's like Fort Collins. It's even farther North than where I am. And I'm sitting there and I'm holding a piece that's like, like a $6,000 retail piece. And I'm like, literally like so tired, like hallucinating a little bit. I felt like, and I'm just like, what's happening? Like, is this responsible? I'm like, but I got to keep pushing because I only have like 36 hours here or 24 hours here. That's all I had. I was like, I only have 24 hours to work with big Z. I'm working the whole 24 fucking hours. Like, and then I'll go home and keep working. And like, that's how tight my time is because I, I, I work this much, but I work this much and I don't have free time. Like, I couldn't even spend like a couple days with someone. Like when I, when I collaborate with people, it's usually like a day, two days max because I, I have to keep working on my orders as well and maintaining my relationships with stores and everything. But back to expensive glass, shit stresses me out because also too, if say if someone gets a piece shipped to them and it breaks, or maybe, maybe the piece checks like a month down the road or something weird happens because it's glass. I feel obligated to take care of them. I feel obligated to replace, fix whatever I got to do for the piece. And when you're talking a piece, like I couldn't imagine selling a piece for 20 or 30 grand. Like some people do out there. Could you imagine like if something like that broke, that's so much money. You couldn't refund someone that you have to remake it. 
And if it's a really complicated, hard piece that it's a miracle you even finished it, that type of anxiety, like because how we do our customer service, we're like a refund or fix or replace. We just, we just take care of people no matter what, what's going on. We just, because it's really important. Um, that running a business like that can become really scary if those numbers start hitting really high points because especially when it's a collab, then you got to hit up the other artist and you guys got to like communicate again and redo the piece and this and that. And like, and some people are cool. And like, I'm, I mean, like I've never had, like I've only had one um, collab ever like check and we just replaced it for them like flat out. We just remade the piece for them brand new. Um, but that's cause the artist I was working with was a badass and he's super, super cool. Um, but I get nervous cause like I've collabed with people before that I don't know. Like I just know them from like their Instagram. I don't really like know them. So when you're like doing business and doing collaborative work with other people, it's like, and you're doing really expensive stuff. It's really good to know who you're working with just in case something goes wrong. Cause it's glass shit happens, but you want to take care of the person because for me, someone spends like even $500 on a piece. I think about $500 to me, even right now, I'm like, Oh my God, that's like, that's like a payment on this. Or that's like part of the mortgage. Like that's a lot of money. And if someone's out that money, I don't want to be the dude in someone's head when they're like sitting there at night, stressed out about paying the bills this month. Like fuck, they did it or fuck Evan from Bear Mountain studios. That dude like ripped me off. Like I'm out this money. Like that's not where I want to be. And I try to put myself in people's shoes. So that's why expensive glass stresses me the fuck out. I just wanted to, I just wanted to bring that up because I don't think a lot of people talk about it enough and there's gotta be other artists out there that feel the same way. Like they love doing the collabs and they enjoy the experience and being, having the opportunity to work with someone they look up to or respect. <clears throat> but when it comes to the money and financial side and all that stuff, that's, that's stressful for me. And only because I care, it's stressful because I, I care cause I work so hard for my money that I just, I, that's how I look at anyone else. I'm like, I don't know what that, like if they were working all night just to be able to afford that or like working a shit job and they could have spent their money on anything. They could have gone and bought anything, but they decided to spend their money on something I made with my hands. And, um, it's a, it's a really, uh, it's an amazing feeling when people support like that, but it's also really stressful when you're making really high end stuff because you don't want to fucking be that thing in the back of someone's head that they're pissed at. At least I don't. But uh, if you care too much, too, that can be detrimental to your success. But uh, I'm really trying to do this, um, at least in a way where I can go to sleep at night and like know that I did my best to take care of people and uh, show respect to people that are supporting me. And back to the whole DM thing. I want to talk about, I've never, I've never talked about this. I, was, I wanted to talk about this on like episode two, um, <clears throat> but I didn't because I'm forgetful as fuck. So we're smoking a joint the whole time. You can tell I just go off on tangents and just I'm all over the fucking place. So I forget stuff, but I want to talk about why it says no DMS on my profile. Let's, uh, let's just light this guy. Let's try to get a couple of hits in before I fucking start talking again. Oh yeah. Mornings. It's cold out in the studio today. So I'm a little bit bundled up. We got a big storm here in Colorado. So got a little chilly last night. So why does it say no DMs on my profile? Because if I, if I followed the Gary V fucking like formula, I'd be fucking talking to everyone. But I'll tell you what, this whole DM thing will tie into to what I was saying about expensive glass stressing me out. I don't, 
I have a hard time answering DMs. I used to do all the DMs for Bear Mountain Studios and they did it. That's how I sold all my glasses through DMs. But then when the RBR really talk, took off and there was like hundreds of people that were buying pieces and things were just going crazy, it was, it was, it was a lot in a bunch of different ways. One of the ways it was stressful for me is if I open someone's DM and talk to them, I don't want to just give them some short fucking answer that has no personality. Obviously, you guys see I talk a lot. This is how my DMs are too if I talk to someone. So I want to give them the time of day and respect that each person that's interested in my work deserves. Even if someone's not trying to buy something, I still want to talk to them. Like, hey, I appreciate you even reaching out to me. Like, that's a compliment enough. Even if you can't afford a piece right now, it's, it's cool that you like my work enough to reach out. So I want to write this whole fucking paragraph to someone. So when I started getting like thousands of DMs, literally, I couldn't, I got overwhelmed. I couldn't even give each person the time of day I wanted, let alone two. Here's one of my biggest issues in life. I'm a yes man. I say yes to everything. The reason I have to work fucking 16, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, constantly crushing is because I say yes to too much. And that might help me like move quicker and succeed a little quicker or find more opportunity. But saying yes to too much stuff too, you can get yourself really buried in anxiety and stress. Because especially if you have pride in your name, if you're saying yes to things, that's your name too. We talked about this earlier in the episode. And those stresses are the things that eat at me and keep me up. Sometimes I'm up from caffeine. Sometimes I'm up from anxiety and stress. And then instead of just sitting there on my couch stressed out, I get on my torch. I make stuff. I try to focus on something else. I try to realize that Hey, even if you're having a shit night and you're stressed out, try to produce something. So tomorrow when you wake up, you'll, Hey, Hey, you know what? Yesterday sucked, but you, you did, you did something. You made something. So DM stressed me out from that too. Cause I want to give people the time of day. I want to give them like a quality, like answer. So as I started getting so many, it became difficult to do that with each individual person, which I noticed too. I felt super bad about. There's a lot of people that I used to be really close with through the DMS people I don't know in person, but just people who supported my work and I would talk to and you know, they'd ask me how I'm doing and I'd tell them my day was going and it was, it was really cool. And I lost touch of that. I lost, as I got so busy, I just got like wrapped up in everything. And I just lost that connection I had. I feel like with a lot of collectors that want to support my work, even if they can't buy stuff, I'd have people just reach out. that just wanted to talk. And I was down. And what I started noticing, though, is when I was doing that, is this is the other side of it right here. I wasn't getting any glass made. I was literally sitting on the phone all day talking to people. And then my wife would be like, what'd you get done today? And I'd be like, oh, I got like one piece or half a piece done. And she's like, what the, what the fuck are you doing all day? You were, were you just sitting on your phone? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I was doing work. And she's like, well, I don't have any invoices or PayPal's. Like, what work were you doing? And I was like, well, I was just talking to people. And... Honestly, this is another thing why I want to do this podcast too, is for those like really like heavy supporters out there that may check this out and watch this, like know that I don't think I'm like too like busy or cool for anyone. I'm literally just very overwhelmed and buried in it right now. And I'm trying to learn to find a balance where I can be you know, what the best I can be with stuff as far as communication, as far as quality of work, um, being present with my family and not being so distracted by my phone and stuff. So all the people that have been following a long time for following, there's some of you out there that have been following the past seven years since day one. And just know that I'm, I'm still that same dude. I just have a lot more responsibilities now. And, uh, 
this is this is actually like this is actually laying out perfect another thing this brings up to me is like last year 2019 2018 i used to post frequent videos like you know just like motivational stuff and not not trying to be like cheesy or whatever but they were just like videos about what i was doing that day and people got really motivated by it in august of last year i stopped doing those videos and it wasn't um it's like, that's when my Instagram changed for a little bit and we're going to, we're getting back to what it used to be. But the Instagram changed a lot last, like August, 2019, when I redid the studio. Um, because when we redid the studio, we had to shut down for three weeks and I got three weeks behind and I spent a lot of money redoing the studio so that we could hopefully produce more glass to keep stores happy, which we'll go into that here in a minute. But, and when I was like, redoing the studio, we shut down. We were just spending money, not making money, redoing everything. And like bills were just getting backed up and things got really stressful and really behind. And literally I just got caught up like four days ago from August of last year, right? As we started doing this podcast, basically like a couple weeks, like after we started this podcast, I finally got caught up from being so behind and I was so stressed out and had so much anxiety during that time. I couldn't post a video being positive, talking about what I'm doing that day. I had, I, it wouldn't have been authentic and you guys would have seen it in me. You would be like, well, that was weird. Like that seemed kind of forced. Like, because I only make those videos if it feels like real, like it feels like something I want to share with people. Cause I feel like that's a benefit on the internet too. If you're having like this authentic positive emotion and you want to share it with someone like, and someone really watches it, they can see that just in your eyes and stuff and feel that. And maybe it helps them too. I didn't post those videos in for a while and I'm, and I'm starting to feel a lot better these days. We're getting into the podcast. Like we're, we're caught up. We're back to like filling orders and it feels really good. So I'm starting to feel like myself again, but that stress really like affected how I posted. It affected what I was, I was just posting glass. And when I, and honestly what I noticed is, People didn't want to just see glass. Like the shit that was getting the most views and most interaction were stuff when it was me talking about life or posting like a video about me or what's going on. And people loved the glass, but when it became just glass, the feed slowed down dramatically. Like, <clears throat> so for like other glass blowers out there, it might be scary to show your face or you might've been around for a long time. So you went through pipe dreams and you don't want to, you know, like I, I don't show my face if it ever happens again. But just know that if you turn that camera around, it will change your whole business. It's an all-in move. You become extremely vulnerable. Um, people will see your imperfections. They'll see you, you know, like fumble words and look a little goofy. But leave it in there. That authenticity is really what people attach to and love because, like, like I've met famous people before and people are just normal. Everyone's just people. Everyone's just normal. We, we, make, we put people on pedestals. So turn that camera around if you want to change up your business a little bit. It's a little scary and become it might be weird at first, but yeah. So what like so the main reasons I wasn't answering DMs go back to that is um, I couldn't give a quality answer to people, couldn't give people the time of day, and I also was like really stressed out because I'm a yes man. I'm like I know if I say open this DM, I'm gonna say yes to it, and then I'm gonna be more behind on work and more stressed out, and I'll be making everyone else happy except for like my wife. She'll be mad or stressed out because I'm not doing my part here for the family. I'm just saying yes to everyone else, trying to make everyone else happy. So that was another reason I wasn't answering DMs because I was such a fucking yes man. Still am. So I try to avoid people. That's why I'm an introvert because I know if they see me, I'm gonna say yes. Um, <clears throat> but yeah. 
But I want to, I want to, I've been working through DMs slowly and actually talking to people again. This sounds really fucking weird while I'm talking about this, but it's the truth. I'm like, I'm making an effort to try and fucking talk to people and be a little bit more connected because I'll, I'm going to lose what I've built unless I just like let people in and get back to how I was doing things. And I think this podcast is going to be huge for that because these conversations are way more in depth. I can only fit like, you know, a 15 second story on Instagram or like, you know, like a one minute post on there. And like, we can't even like communicate great. And the YouTube is so small right now that like, I feel like the people that actually watch this, cause I feel like there's going to be a totally different group of collectors who watch and follow the podcast and everything. So I think we're going to be a smaller core group and this way, like you guys can really see where I'm coming from and learn a lot about me too. And also as well, like when I start having guests on here, when I start having guests on here and we get into conversations and stuff, the people who are really into the podcast and watch it will understand my perspective, especially when we go into certain topics and talk about things. And, um, you know, each, each episode too might not be like, oh, I'm in a great mood or I'm going to try and be positive, but let's be real. It's life. So there's going to be times I talk about stuff like this one today was like all over the place. Hopefully it wasn't too like, um, I, hopefully I didn't sound like I was whining. Definitely not trying to whine. I'm just trying to be transparent here for all the people who support my work. So you guys don't think that I've got a big head on my shoulders and think I'm too good for anyone. Cause that's definitely not the case. Everybody goes through stuff. So, but I want to jump over to a totally different subject. So, I want to talk about, um, for this is like for a glass blowing subject and about the back to like the business and like sustaining it is, um, doing wholesale and like working with shops and seeing like, as your business grows, like, what do you do? Cause I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck to do. So I like this and we'll get into it. Something that we're like running into right now with like the wholesale thing is if, you have a bunch of stores that want glass and they're willing, they're happy to pay for it, but you can't get them glass. And it's not because you don't want to work with them. It's not because you're picking and choosing who you work with. It's just because how many people want glass. So I think there's a fine line with meeting a demand and like having a demand. I think that you can overproduce stuff, but at the same time you can underproduce stuff. If you can't meet even close to what the current demand is and people have to keep asking, like I have shops right now that have been on a waiting list for almost three years. They haven't paid any money or anything. They're just on a waiting list to get into our shop rotation. And it's a first come first serve thing. So it's really hard to get new people in because people are placing bigger orders. So I'm only getting maybe like 12 to 14 orders in a year and we have 76 stores on the wholesale waiting list. And then we have 26 on our rotation. So I can't even get through our rotation of the 26. And then there's, so like trying to find that balance where you're like, well, if I'm missing the demand so far, am I just going to fall off because it's a balance? It's like, if you have to kind of meet it a little bit. And that's a reason too. People are like, make something else. Like, why don't you make something else? I'm like, I, I want to, but Right now I'm booked for RBRs and I'm committed to it and I love making the RBR. It's, it's, I really enjoy making these designs. I really enjoy just keep dialing, dialing them in and doing little tweaks. Like I love working on them. But it it's goes back to the beginning where you have to be disciplined and make that commitment and understand that like there's gonna be days you wanna make other stuff maybe, but you need to fill your orders while you have them because everything comes in waves. Like all success is temporary. 
I don't think I'm going to be like riding an RBR wave for 20 years and paying my bills. I know that this is all like, you know, I, I want the RBR to be like a daily driver, like a standard piece that you see in stores. And it's something that everyone just knows about. That's what I'm working towards with this design. And then I have other designs that are going to be extremely limited in a totally different bracket. But I need to be committed to this right now because I'm really close to getting it to that level where I think a lot of people are aware of my product and my design. And there's a lot of other people making RBRs now and calling them RBRs. So I need to not give up on the RBR. If I don't appreciate it and show it respect and for how much it's done for my family, then I could lose that design to someone else that will outwork me on it. It sounds crazy to say it like that, but I'm just being real on my perspective and being transparent about it. I'm committed to this design. I love this design. It's changed my whole life. It's helped me get better at glass blowing. It's given me opportunity to practice every single day and take care of my family, not just my immediate family, but other family members too that need help. I'm a high school dropout that makes bongs for a living and I smoke weed all day, but I feel it sounds so stupid to say, but I feel like a man. It's a, it's a nice, it's a nice, it's nice to fucking feel like that for me growing up. Like I was definitely like picked on and stuff, a bunch like that and felt belittled a lot. And so like being able to work hard and provide, I'm almost addicted to that feeling of like a provider, like people like, like my family looks at me as like, Oh, he'll no matter Evan's got it. He'll work and he'll, he won't let us fail. So yeah, but back to what we were talking about is wholesaling with shops. So we can see we go off on tangents. Shit happens. I'm trying to find the balance right now or how I can keep stores happy and maintain the brand. And what I'm finding is certain stores maybe don't have the uh, infrastructure or employees or the, they don't have the setup to sell high volume drops. I do, I've like, I do drops and I don't say this, the amount of pieces in the drops on my posts anymore. Cause one time I posted how many pieces were in a drop and it caused a lot of drama between stores. We had shops hitting us up saying like one shop's monopolizing on this product in this industry. And like, you know, like people were really, there were some shops that just got off the list cause they're like just mad, which is fine. I get, I'd be mad too. Um, but we're trying to figure out like, do we have to have different brackets for different types of stores? Like if you're a store that can handle high volume, if you have the amount of employees, if you have the infrastructure, if you have the Instagram, you know how to use it. Can you handle this number of glass? So this is kind of for other glass blowers. Like if you're going to do production is like realizing where to put the glass so that the glass sells consistently. So you don't run into little ruts where like that one shop, get a, maybe a shop got a big drop and it didn't do as well as another one. And, but people are still looking for the product. So, I'm still learning this one, guys. So this is going to be something we talk about in other episodes and work through it. I'm going to tell you how stuff's changed or what we've decided to do and what works for us. So we'll talk about that. But that's on the end of being really busy with wholesale. Let's go to like the beginning when you're like, how do I get wholesale? How do I get stores to buy my glass? How do I make something that the stores want? In the beginning, I think I hit the glass industry at a really good time, like when when shops were still like, like I feel like the trade shows are getting back to it because of Las Vegas, but they took a little dip for a while here. Like, and everyone will say it like 2013, I think was one of the last year when the trade shows was really popping off. So 
that was my first trade show. And I think I got lucky because we talked about this in like episode two, but just like the glass looked a little different, different colors, whatever. But try to find like your little niche, find something like, and it doesn't have to be what defines you forever. It could just be one part of your story. You know, don't be like, well, I don't want to be the guy that makes this thing. Well, maybe you're the guy that makes that thing for a little bit, but then you make another thing, you know, it, you need to, you need to commit to things and work on it for it to develop and become a product that is actually selling. Like I made a lot of RBR, a lot of RBRs before shops bought any, like I made hundreds before a shop ever got a whole. I tried to get stores to buy RBRs. I went to shops that knew me that bought my glass. I brought them RBRs. I was like, guys, I really think these are going to be a, a thing. Like, do you want to get an order of 10 of them? I'll, I'll give you a deal on them. I was trying to hook people up for a little less so the shops would carry them and check it out. No one wanted them. And no one, no one was smoking them. So I was like, you know what? It's time for me to start smoking a lot of hash and taking dab videos. Fucking 2016 and 17, if you go back, my feed was just dab videos. Like that shit was like, I was like, if no one else is going to smoke my glass, I will. So find, find a cool, like little niche, like, like cool little product that you like, that's your thing. And then you use it. If no one else would use it, no one else is buying it. I mean, I'm not telling you to do drugs, but get some CBD or something if you don't want to do THC, but use it. Show people how it works, show how much you love it, show how much fun you're having using it, and slowly build that collector group. Um, people are going to get attached to like if you're like enjoying yourself and you really like it and you show that function. So that's the beginning. I would say find something, work on it, and then you use it. Don't wait for people to post it up. Just you fucking do it. Do it all. And then when you build that up, then I'd say go to a trade show. At this point in our industry, I wouldn't just go to a trade show unless you have built a demand for something because you're going to spend a bunch of money and you'll probably sell some stuff, but you're probably going to sit there and be a little like bummed that like you didn't sell out or whatever. So what I would do is first like, like build up your own products, like recognition by using it, showing it off and then do a trade show and design a product that is good for shops to sell, make it designed for the shops to be able to sell with ease. And for like the employees, make it simple enough where, you know, a salesperson can talk to, you know, a customer and explain how it works and show like what's, you know, cool about it. Like have like little highlights, like talk about like little things about the piece. Um, and really what it is, is just talk about what you like about your piece. If you can't talk about your piece of all the things you like about it and all the little details, even if it's something really simple, like the RBR is a pretty simple design, but there's a lot of little things in there. If you can't talk about it like that, it's going to be hard to sell it because as our industry grows and stuff, it's really going to be about like customer service sales and like building up your name or your market. So what we're going to, we'll talk about that more in other episodes too. We'll get into it, but, um, holy shit, guys, we've been talking. We just, this was this was awesome. Again, anyone that made it this far, thank you so much, guys. Um, don't forget too. We got that Hetty Hawaii show coming up. I don't know when, what day this is coming out, but we have that Planet Caravan drop happening on Wednesday, the nineteenth. This won't come out by then, but it's out there. If you guys watch it, I'm sure there'll be a couple pieces left at this point, even because it's a big drop. And then Planet Caravan two weeks later has a giant clear drop of over 60 clear pieces. So it's going to be massive, which this will definitely be out before that drop hits the shelves. So watch for that Planet Caravan clear drop. I know there's a lot of people out there that have been waiting for clear. I haven't done a clear drop in like three months or yeah, two or three months, I haven't done a clear drop. So there's a lot of people out there waiting for clear. The shops seem to really want color, but I keep telling them buy clear. 
listen to me guys, buy the clear because that's what people want. They like those affordable RBRs, that four to $500 range. That way that they can buy their RBR and still get a bag of weed too. Um, and the Head of Hawaii show, uh, June 27th, I got the info um, right on my page and my highlights. You can check that out. Uh, still have to announce the date for the Washington DC show, but that's going to be fun as well. And, um, we got more of these episodes coming guys. We're working hard over here on these. Um, and, uh, it's been, it's been super fun. It's been really nice to just vent, talk about life and reminisce a little bit. So thank you everybody that's watching these. This is the what's up everybody podcast. And, um, I'll see you guys in episode four. Thank you.